from the journalists of The Australian. Here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Wednesday, March 23. The Ben Robert Smith defamation case has taken a disturbing turn with the Victoria Cross winner's ex-lover telling a court he forced her to take a pregnancy test to prove she wasn't lying, punched her in the face and threatened to burn her house down. Robert Smith has denied any wrongdoing. Run the company like you own it. That's the message to business bosses from Seven Group CEO Ryan Stokes. Today, we've got the inside scoop on why Stokes thinks family businesses do it better. That's later in the podcast. Up first, welfare spending on unemployment benefits will fall to historic lows as the economy bounces back from COVID much faster than Treasury expected. That's one of the headlines from an exclusive today with Finance Minister Simon Birmingham ahead of next week's budget. Senator Birmingham is also hinting at a temporary cut on fuel excise to ease pressure at the pump. Our political correspondent, Jeff Chambers, joins us now. Jeff, we're six days out from the budget. What's Senator Birmingham saying? This is an election budget uh, which the coalition will use to frame itself as the better economic manager. So we've got the economy and we've got national security as the two key pillars of Scott Morrison's re-election campaign. And what they'll do in this budget uh, is show that the uh, $1 trillion debt bill accrued during the the two years of the pandemic has been avoided, uh, largely thanks to unexpected tax receipts, which have just soared. So that's around uh, GST, company tax and and, and personal tax receipts. Uh, We've also got record prices for resources, in particular for uh, metallurgical coal, thermal coal and LNG. They're being very, very clear that uh, they're going to protect essential services and also include targeted one-off supports, targeted and temporary. They're the the buzzwords from Josh Frydenberg and Simon Birmingham for low to middle income earners, which will obviously go towards helping ease the cost of living pressures. Now, in our interview with, with Simon Birmingham, he has left the door open to a temporary cut in fuel excise. I don't imagine that they will put a pause on it or that that cut would be long-term. They keep saying that global oil prices have recovered to a point and they expect further recovery. Unleaded fuel 95 is well over $2.20 per litre on average around Australia and 44 cents on each litre is fuel excise, a federal tax that pays for roads and transport infrastructure. On page one today, we reveal the Senator's warning Australia has to wean itself off fuel excise as we shift to electric vehicles and find other ways to build roads. While they might, obviously, around the optics ahead of the election, look to cut that excise, they also understand that they need that money and uh, they have a long-term problem, whether it's the coalition or Labor, with more electric vehicles coming onto the roads, looking at ways to introduce road user charges because currently if you're driving an EV, you're obviously not paying fuel excise. The budget will bake in long-term spending on aged care, NDIS and defence, which are three key pillars for the coalition. And it also will include a very high figure uh, weekly and fortnightly payments for pensioners and welfare recipients. So They've been very uh, careful to not release too much of the detail around uh, how much extra revenues they have, but of what they do have, some of that will be used for the cost of living package, some of that will be used for flood recovery support, uh, and then there's obviously investment in energy, 
regional infrastructure, the digital economy, and there will be new incentives for home buyers who are struggling to break into the market. Jeff, is balancing the budget something the government's even trying to do, or have things changed so much that's no longer an issue? Uh, things have dramatically changed, and the one lesson that the coalition have learned since Josh Frydenberg's first budget, where he famously said that the country was back in black, is that as unforeseen circumstances and, and global circumstances can turn everything on its head. So very shortly after the back in black budget, he had an opportunity, actually, it's a good piece of trivia, that he could have actually pushed the budget into surplus in my EFO of that year in 2018 ahead of the 2019 election, which they opted to not do. And then we obviously had the bushfires, uh, which then the summer bushfires, which then rolled into the pandemic in 2020. And then we just saw the type of spending that this country has, has never seen before. So um, they're very careful in terms of their fiscal strategy to not talk up major budget repair or to outline when we might see the budget returning to balance. And I think it's that very reason that these unforeseen circumstances that in a lot of cases we have no control over can turn it on its head. And uh, I think they're being really careful, unlike Wayne Swan, in relation to projected prices on resources such as coal and and iron ore and gas. Because if you obviously bake in those higher prices to try and concoct a, a faster recovery, that can blow up in your face. We just saw South Australian Labor sweep to victory with a massive suite of new spending ideas, despite the Liberals' efforts to paint them as reckless spendthrifts. So how is that going to influence the politics of the way this budget is sold? I think it's very difficult for the government. I think that the spending that they they will, in in a, in a sense that they've been forced into in relation to the you know the, the response to floods and cost of living, which is tied to uh, increased inflation, which is obviously linked to what's happening in the Ukraine. They, they're going to have to spend money, and uh, their spin on it is that it will be targeted and temporary relief. But I think that. Australians in general, after this uh, spending bonanza that we've had over the last two years, they care less about budget surplus right now, not to say that won't change. And I think Anthony Albanese and, and Jim Chalmers have been very careful in not overreaching. And Albanese will do his budget and reply speech, his, his final before the election, and uh, they will include new policy announcements, but um, you can expect that they will show some restraint, knowing that the coalition is hoping that they will overreach and bake in structural spending that will blow out the budget. Jeff Chambers is the Australian's federal political correspondent. Coming up, a giant rev up for business from billionaire scion Ryan Stokes. Our business columnist, Damon Kitney, joins us with his exclusive. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.
in a private address to a closed room of Australia's wealthiest and most influential business leaders, Seven Group CEO Ryan Stokes has staked out how he believes business people should work. They should treat the business like they own it. Damon Kitney has the exclusive. Damon, Ryan Stokes is rattling some cages here, isn't he? His thesis is very much that founder-led companies are the ones that succeed best over the longer term. It's a provocative comment, and I guess it's a message to corporate Australia that you know, all listed companies need to adapt more of a founder or owner-led sort of bias in the way that they run. And he uses his seven group as a, uh, as a prime example. Seven is um, controlled by the Stokes family, Kerry Stokes and Ryan Stokes' his son, and has been for um, ever since it was established. And Ryan asserts the thesis that uh, that owner mindset has really led to strong shareholder value creation Certainly um, over the last five years, the total shareholder return of seven is over 200% over five years. Ryan took over in 2015. And he asserts that by a number of factors. Firstly, skin in the game is the key thing that um, the Stokes family you know, has real ownership of the stock. But he also talks about the way the company is run, the way power is delegated to executives by the Stokes family the way they can take a long-term approach to their investments. And they believe that that's going to pay off now over the next decade. Seven's also gone into energy assets, a company called Beach Energy, and it's held that asset for a number of years while energy prices have been quite weak. But now it's actually reaping the, the benefits, as we've seen with the, with the oil price of late. There's a lot going on for business leaders, isn't there? The new mantra is ESG, environmental, social and governance. There's shareholders who want immediate returns. There's increasing demands from employees. So how does Stokes think business leaders are supposed to work out what matters most? I I think he certainly believes that, you know, on the ESG issue, family-led and founder-led groups actually do very well. And the S part, um, the question, I guess, more is around the governance part. We have a, a family shareholder, but certainly on the environmental and social, these founder-led companies are actually, you know, very passionate about those those issues and really put them at the forefront. Stokes believes that, you know, if, if you have patient capital as you do in a founder-led business, that's going to lead to good returns over the longer term. And there isn't the pressure to have that short-term mindset that so many companies, I think, are, are sort of stuck on at the moment. The world has been watching Ryan Stokes mature as a businessman for years, first as a student in his father's shadow and then as his successor as he took over seven group holdings in 2015 to run the family's media and mining services empire. What's he like? He's really evolved uh, and I've I've watched it now for 15 years. I remember meeting Ryan about 15 years ago and he was very green, I would say, and very much in the shadow of his father. And it's great credit to Kerry Stokes that he's empowered his son to take on, you know, senior management positions in the firms that the family invests in. It's an example of a textbook succession. I think so many children in these sorts of businesses either uh, are overwhelmed by the, the weight of expectation that comes with following a famous father or mother and I guess the weight of wealth that goes with that. But Ryan seems to have... Um, have really handled it with aplomb and 
But he also has a really good charm, I think, which we saw on display at the dinner. And you've seen that in the way that he relates to investors. It's, um, it is really a, a textbook succession, you would say. Damon Kitney is The Australian's business columnist. And speaking of billionaires, The Australian's The List, Riches 250, is out this Friday. And it's hotly anticipated. Who's up, who's down, and what do the fortunes of the billionaires tell us about what's really happening in the economy? We'll be speaking to someone who knows all the titans, John Stenzoltz, and checking out some remarkable changes in fortune in this tumultuous time. All those stories, plus the nation's best coverage of news, business, sport, politics and culture, are at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.